God, thank you for what we have just um, voiced. Lord, that our chains are gone, our debt is paid, and one affects the other. And Lord, there's a weight that's on hearts today. There's a reality that a, a reality of guilt and shame, a reality that we need release. A reality that we're bound to others with a lack of grace and God I just uh, start with this prayer this morning uh, looking to you and praying in front of these people assembled that we uh, we have a Savior who is so serious about our relationship with each other that he told people long ago if they've got something to give at, at the synagogue that day but their hearts are wrong toward another that they would leave and they would go and do what they can to make it right. And the same Savior taught us, you have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray and bless those who persecute you. And oh, what a different call it is to follow you. And God, it's a life of freedom. And I pray today that people are free. Lord, that you do something among us that's so different. And God, that there would be some stories to tell of people released from what gets us stuck and trapped and what holds us back. Jesus, this is your work today. Let us be open in Christ, in you. Amen. If you would be seated. I want to begin as our team makes their way off the platform. I want to begin with... Um, with a photo, I'll show you a picture of a man. Uh, if you're sermon podcasting this, just listening online, you won't be able to, of course, see this. But this is a man named Christopher Thomas Knight, and he became recently known as the Northport Hermit. Any hermits among us? No. Any any introverts among us? Okay, we got some introverts. Jesus loves introverts as much as extroverts. I'm an extrovert, and I say that. But this guy went way beyond introversion. You know, introversion is defined by you, you derive your energy from, from solitude, from being alone. Well, this guy, Christopher Thomas Knight, here's how he became known as the Northport Hermit. 27 years ago, summer of 86, he was driving his Subaru in his home state of Maine, and he just drove and drove to a, a patch of wooded area and he kept driving he went off the road I think you can do that in Subarus but he went way off way off the beaten road the beaten path he just kept driving as far as the Subaru would physically take him and he got out of his car he left the keys in the ignition got out and continued on through the woods just walking and walking uh, to the point where he was just swallowed in woods for 27 years he lived by eating roadkill, stealing vegetables from other people's summer homes and gardens. He was just recently, this story just broke, he was uh, connected to what they believe over a thousand thefts. Now, you might guess looking at him, or, or maybe not, not a violent man, in fact a very gentle man. He didn't really want to harm anybody, and he wanted to live, he just didn't want to live with people. Anybody ever get there? Like, you're not, you don't want to end it. You, you want to live. You just are tired of living with people. And you're looking for woods. You're looking to get away from it all. And that can happen to us. You see, God made you for relationships. Do you believe that? Like, he built you 
for relationships. We are relational creatures. Some of us certainly more than others. Some of us understand our cravings. For some of us, it's latent, it's dormant, it's kind of hidden below the surface. But he made you and I as relational beings not to live in isolation. And every relationship has to have love and loyalty. Do you believe that? Love and loyalty. And so whether it's stated directly or whether it's indirectly known, every relationship for it to move forward, it has to have this love, loyalty, and commitment. And there's sort of a a saying, a saying like this, in the world of uncertainty, you can count on me. And as you've entered into those relationships, everybody has to some extent, single, married, divorced, whatever, young, old, we've all had those relationships. And even kids on a playground are saying, hey, you can count on me. And then we live and we realize that we can't count on them. And what happens? Man, we're looking for the woods. We're looking to get away. We're, it's people, right? People are the problem and there's woundedness. And what do you do with woundedness? What do you do with your hurt? There's a whole group of men in the room who like to deny that we get emotionally hurt. They're called men. But it's true. For all of us, there's a woundedness. What do you do when you're hurt? You hurt me. You can, you can finish this. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. There's something in human hearts. We want to pay back. Read recently of a man who drove by a house and he noticed, he was a neighbor, and he noticed uh, what looked like um, low mileage, late model, almost new, shiny Mercedes for sale. And he was, he went to, his neighbor went to the door and said, hey, how much for this Mercedes? Tell me about it. She said, it's yours for $100. And so he goes as fast as he can to his wallet. She signs over the title, the Mercedes, almost brand new Mercedes is his. And he says, why did you sell it for so cheap? And she said, you see, my husband left me for my best friend. And he texted me yesterday from Hawaii. He said, sell the car and send the money. It's in us. It's in us to get back at people. How can, you let a, how can you let a grievance go? How can you let somebody who's taken from you, betrayed you, brought pain to your life, how can you just let it go? I don't know if you recognize this name. This is from the early part of human history. This is recorded for us in Genesis. This is Lamech, and we live, even though we're advanced and intelligent and modern, we live, too many of us, according to the law of Lamech. This man was wounded. Somebody hurt him. And what did he do? He killed a man. Somebody heard him, minor, moderate, lesser. And because anger does that, anger escalates, he looked for revenge. Revenge always pays back more. Think about it. When you're out to get someone because they've hurt you, you're not looking to do less to them. You're looking probably not to even get even. You're looking to inflict more pain on them. And Life can be like that. Right after this story, or in the midst of this story, it says this. It says, the Lord was grieved. In fact, it goes on to say in the same verse, the Lord's heart was filled with pain. The New Testament, we're told this. We're told, it's a command, you and I, we're to live in a way where we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? If you're doing Bible study, there's observation, interpretation, application. You ask questions as you read and study the Bible. If it tells you not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, well, how do we grieve the Spirit of God? We're told in the New Testament that we grieve the Spirit of God when we 
don't put aside anger and rage and bitterness and malice and we hold on to things we won't let go of the hurt that we feel of the woundedness we're not moving toward emotional spiritual health and well-being then we look to inflict pain we grieve look at this phrase in job chapter 18 and verse 4 it says you talking to a lot of people it's for us today you who tear yourself to pieces in your anger What's your anger doing for you? I, I, there is a righteous anger. It's exemplified in Jesus. There's a, there's a righteous anger that I've, I've seen. I think I've exemplified it from time to time. Sadness, you withdraw. Anger, you do something about the problem. But most of us embarrass ourselves and hurt the people that we love because of our anger. And when we choose to hate someone, when we choose to pay back, we're hurting ourselves. Look, been there. You're tearing yourselves to pieces. So today I want to say, by way of invitation, I want to say to you, I want to say to us all, that instead of grieving the heart of God, instead of tearing ourselves into pieces, there's a better way, and it's a way to freedom. And can I ask you this morning, don't you want to live in freedom? Who wants to be bound to the past? Who wants to be stuck? Who wants to be trapped? That's, um, man, I get claustrophobic thinking about that. Like, don't lock me in the trunk of your car. Don't lock me up and hide the key. Man, I want to live in boundless freedom. And that's the gospel. That's what Jesus offers to us. And I wonder if you're living that. Instead of grieving the Spirit of God, instead of tearing yourselves into pieces with your hurt, what if you walked in the life of freedom? What if that was you? Now, there's a word for people who stand in front of crowds and tell them to practice the art of forgiveness. We call these people annoying. And can I tell you, the wrong that's been done to me, the lies and the betrayals and the people that at times have sought to hurt me, when Jesus tells people, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you, in that great sermon on the mount, you have heard it said, hey, I'm telling you, you don't hate anybody. You don't hate anybody. You even love your enemies. And you pray for them. You bless them, even those who persecute you. Jesus annoys me. But he wants me. He wants me to get closer to his heart. And you know this, some people, men and women through the years, have had great sayings about forgiveness and how it, you know, you're closer to the heart of God. You're never closer to the heart of God than when you practice this art, this tool called forgiveness. And this is what, what he has for us. A life of freedom. Not grieving the Spirit of God, not tearing ourselves to pieces in our anger, but walking in freedom. Like some of you, I go to, um, I, I love to road trip, and I go to Atlanta quite a bit. Several years ago, I, I did a drive to Atlanta, and I got pulled over in Alabama. And the officer asked me, do you know why I pulled you over? I, I did. And I told him, you know, uh, do you know that I'm a pastor and just uh, working for God? And he said, you know, why were, you know, it's a 60, in Alabama right here at 65 miles an hour speed limit, and you were driving <clears throat> miles an hour. And, and you were driving fast. And what was my motivation? Again, I played the pastor thing, talked about God, had thoughts of the Bible. I was praying for Alabama, that we would keep it beautiful, praying for leaders, legislators, law enforcement in particular. He wrote me the ticket in full. And a few weeks later, um, to my wife's chagrin, I paid that ticket in full. So let me ask you a question. I go to Atlanta, like some of you, probably five, seven times a year. In the 15 times or so that I've been to Atlanta since that ticket in Alabama, when I drive through that part of Alabama, do you think that I cower in fear? 
you think I, I duck? Now, I do slow down. That's not my question. But am I afraid? Do, do I feel guilt and shame for that? Do you think I'm afraid of being arrested? or any, Am I feeling any of that? No. I did wrong, but my record is clean. The debt was paid. So I can, in fact, when I drive through that particular stretch of Alabama, I know exactly where it is, right? The exact bridge. And you know, actually what I do, I celebrate that I can forget that and move on. It's a point of me. It's a space, a place, a time to say, I've been clear to that. And I'm praying today for many of you that today would be a day where you could say, I'm free of this. Now stay with me for a second. But I'm free of this and I can walk in this freedom. Jesus was so serious about forgiveness. He annoyed people. He annoys you today if you're holding on to something and you're getting a perverse pleasure from holding on to something. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. About 98% of the room knows this. Forgive us. This is a prayer to the Father. And forgive us our debts as... That's a big word there. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 66, and some of us are delusional about this. Some of us are delusional. We have leaders of churches who think that we can get away with this, but that we can treat other people any way we want to treat them. We can be at odds with people and right with God. You can't. You can't. Am I annoying you now? I'm just preaching the truth. In fact, if you regard Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And if there's distance, look, do what you can to make it right. Colossians 3, 13 early followers of Jesus, the church needed to hear this. Bear with one another, each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as, that word again, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as He has forgiven you. So how are we doing? Today, here's what it looks like so often. We say, this is us, too many times. We say, he, she, and there's a name there. We're not using the pronoun. He, she offended me. I'm out of here. The New Testament, what you see is, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Look, there are difficult people in this world. And it's soon as you dust off that reality and embrace it, it'll help you. And here's the thing, you are the difficult person for some people. It's just there's a lack of self-awareness. You don't see it, but you're the difficult person for other people. So what we receive, we need to give. It's like the oxygen mask. Some of you are frequent flyers, and what do they tell you when in the case, in the event of a water landing, which is... Terribly upsetting to think about. In the event of a water landing, what do you do? There's an oxygen mask, and what do you do? It's hard as a parent. If you have children with you, they're actually telling you what's counterintuitive, that you would put the oxygen mask on you first, and then the child or the person, maybe elderly or special needs person that needs extra help. But you first, 
so that you can help. A pastor friend of mine puts it this way, you, you exhale what you inhale. Whatever you're inhaling, you exhale that. And I'm just saying we need homes. We need homes. We need marriages. We need friendships and roommates and teams and church staff and workplace. We need people groups and families that, that have leaders that are inhaling God's grace and exhaling. Because look, we can't expect our children to live in a certain way if we're not experiencing it ourselves. Just as. This is given to us just as we practice it, we experience it and express it to other people. This morning I want to talk to you uh, quickly about a few things that forgiveness is not. There's a book called The Peacemaker by a writer named Ken Sandy. Now, Ken Sandy is not a pastor. He's a lawyer. And a lawyer wrote the best book I've ever read on forgiveness. It, again, is called Peacemaker. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peace, not peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. Some of us, we just need to keep the peace. There is peace. Not a lot of tension. Just keep the peace. But there are situations that are volatile and there's debris that's gotten in between people and we need to make peace. And Jesus is saying, you are happy, it's counterintuitive, you are happy if you will go towards someone and make peace with them. But Ken Sandy's book, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this book available for the first, help me Nick, the first 10 people, the first 10 people who make their way after church up to the breezeway room, second floor right there. You know, the breezeway room that connects this building, the sanctuary with the Babalu side of things. The first 10 people get a free copy of this book. And those who can't get one, if you're number 11 or following, I would encourage you to order it and read it. But it's the best book on understanding what forgiveness is. Let me share with you a few thoughts I've accumulated over the years. What forgiveness is not, it's not excusing. It's not forgetting. It's not reconciling. In most cases, it's not immediate. And so let me, for a moment, just real quickly, let me ask you, when we say forgiveness is not excusing, what do you excuse? What do you look past? You know, we excuse a lot of things. Uh, some people don't excuse much at all. Some people among us are easily offended. Hope it's not you. Not a lot of joy in people that are easily offended. Every little thing. Difficult. Can you be bigger than that? Can you, can you realize the magnanimous nature of God in your life? You don't have to be so easily offended, but forgiveness is not excusing. We excuse an expected father driving his wife to the hospital because she's about to give birth. We'll excuse that. We'll excuse a clumsy skier for bumping into us on a slope uh, if they're a beginner. We'll excuse an eight-year-old boy for bodily functions, bodily noises, because he's an eight-year-old boy. There's a lot of things that we excuse, but we, we're not called. We're not called. If you get the book Peacemaker, Ken Sandy will teach you better than I can. But we're not called to tolerate bad behavior. And we're not taught or called to ever pretend that the bad isn't bad. Okay? In fact, I've walked with some families through my many, many, many years of ministry. I'm getting older, and I've been with families. I've been in the courtroom. I've been in the jail cell. I've been mediating with families when there's a lot at stake. And look, we have a justice system. And in some cases, we can forgive, and justice still needs to take place. That's good. That's sound. That's biblical. Excusing is not tolerating bad behavior. 
It's not pretending that it's not bad. In fact, when Scripture tells us to not be bitter, can I just say, like, there's reason to be bitter. I'm looking at a whole bunch of people. I'm not trying to go the opposite way with this sermon now, but there's a reason to be bitter. I'm not standing here today trying to annoy you. I'm not standing here today saying, oh, you don't have any reason to be bitter. I'm saying the opposite. You probably, I'm not talking to the easily offended. I'm talking about the people that have been hurt. It's personal and it's deep and it was deliberate. I'm talking to you. It's bad. And you have every human, not divine, reason to be bitter. It's also not forgetting. You know, Scripture uses this metaphor. It's sort of a, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but it's kind of a silly one because God doesn't have a memory retrieval problem like we do as we get older. Where's my keys? Where's my car? Where's my spouse? What's your name? We, we forget things easily. God never forgets anything, but it's His way of telling humans that the past doesn't have to hold you back. That the, the life is cumulative. Look, life is cumulative. You reap what you sow. Life is cumulative, but you are not a product of your past. And so forgiving is not forgetting. And I just want to say to some of you who've been really hurt. And look, I'm a pastor. And if you know what's happening in the church, there's some cleaning and some refining, some discipline. Some holiness, I'll, I'll drop that word, some holiness that God desires. And there has been leaders, man. Some of them have been deliberate sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. And some have just turned the wrong way and letting sin get the best of us and held on to secrets. Never good for a leader to try to hold on to secrets. And people have been hurt and people have been betrayed. And bodies and souls have been violated. And can I just say, I am so sorry. And for some of you, I'm telling you, you shouldn't forget. All right, let me be clear. You shouldn't forget it was wrong. Forgiveness is not reconciling. C.S. Lewis once said, I love this, he said, he observed this about his own journey with Jesus. It was an agnostic, an adamant atheist, an agnostic, and then a follower of Jesus and a brilliant mind. And he said that at one time, he said, I finally forgave a man who's been dead for 30 years. For some of you, that is pertinent. For some of you, that's relevant. To forgive someone who's no longer with you. But here's what you need to be reconciled with someone. They have to be alive, and they have to be sincerely repentant for the wrong that they've done. There's got to be ownership. Otherwise, there can't be repentance. And it takes two to tango. It takes two to make everything all right. It takes two to something out of sight. It takes two to be reconciled, always. So there has to be the person who is the offender. They have to sincerely... And look, some people are masters at this. They're called narcissists, and they are masters at this. Delve a little deeper psychologically, but there are people that offer pride-preserving... Calorie substituting, half at the altar, excuses for apologies, and they're not apologies. And so that person that's wronged you, you need to see their sincere repentance. Hey, you're hurt, and it's my fault, and I want to own this. And then forgiveness in many cases is a process. It's not... It's not immediate. 
There are levels of forgiveness. Real quickly, I want to tell you this because some of you, I'm already annoying you. You're thinking, oh, Robert's going to make me try to do something today. There are levels or stages of forgiveness. I'm going to ask you, like the young people say today, to get to the next level, to come up to the level that God desires for you. Here's the first one. We'll go uh, one at a time. Well, the first level of forgiveness is what I'm saying. It's the willingness to try not to even the score. It's, it's uh, revenge. Take revenge off the table. Can I say to you today, take revenge off the table. Can I tell you, I thought about it. I've harbored it. I've wanted it. Whoever needs to hear it today, we told our earlier service at 930, when you take revenge off the table, that means you no longer, in the name of Jesus, entertain fantasies about someone being tortured or someone being fired from their job or someone suddenly gaining 50 pounds. You just take that off the table. Okay, revenge doesn't mean that a man's going to end up dead. Revenge doesn't mean that someone took your daughter and you're going to be Liam Nielsen. That's, that is revenge and makes for great Hollywood movies. But the entertaining of the fantasies where someone gets hurt, that person that hurt you, you want to hurt them. Take that off the table. That's one level of just like, Jesus, I'm not going to be their best friend. I don't even know if you want me to be their best friend, but I'm no longer going to seek revenge against them. You with me? And that's just, that's a level. It's not a high level, but it's a level. And for some of you, that could be a monumental step this morning. Next level is a willingness to move past being bitter. To move past it. Because what is that bitterness? What does it do to you? Time and time again, you think you're, you know, you got your voodoo doll out and you're hexing them and cursing them, but what you're doing is cursing your own life because you're regarding iniquity in your heart. And to move past that bitterness that's, as one writer said, is an acid inside of you. And it's eating at you. Third level of forgiveness is the highest level. And it's where I'm going to make somebody mad at me right now. It's the willingness to follow Jesus. To be reconciled with the, with the person who hurt me. You know, some of us are like, God, what you will, what you will, what you will. And you know what we do? We embrace the easy things. The easy part of God's will. But the absolute heart and center of God's will is probably the thing that requires your sacrifice. Remember when you were here last week and I talked about you gain by giving and, you know, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll give my time. I'll do, you know, God, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. Hey, Jesus, I'll do this. I'll give you this. I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. And God, every time goes, that. I want that. That's what I want. And for some of you, you may say, oh, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm going to put down, put away the voodoo doll. But there could be some of us where this is the level and Jesus can take you to the next level. Are you willing for this? Again, it takes two. They've got to be alive. They've got to be willing. If they are the one who's offended you, it's going to take their brokenness. And here's what I know. I know some people, man, they, they, want to, they, they act like they're broken and it's a game. It's an act. And when you're broken, you're broken. When you're broken, people will know it. And I don't know who we have in the room. I know in the 930 there was some orthopedic people in the room, uh, one orthopedic surgeon I know, and they can tell you, they know more than me, that especially for young people, when a bone is broken, nobody wants a bone broken, but for young people, maybe not the, maybe not the aged, the elderly, but when a young bone is broken, it can grow back stronger. And so can you. When you're broken, you can, go, you can grow back stronger. I struggle to say that, but you know what I'm saying. And a relationship can be reconciled if you are genuinely broken, or the person, the one who's offended you. So today, what time is it? 
it could be time to receive God's forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13, I shared this with a man over lunch this week who's struggling in and out of a relationship. And I just said, man, Proverbs 28, 13, it says to us, he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. It's, I think we have it. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I've got a, a, a friend who introduced me to a friend who is a very, um, very, very high-profile national leader. And I'm not, would never tell you the name. I'm kind of name-dropping without dropping the name, so forgive me. But I uh, had an opportunity to brush up against him. And just through a really cool series of events, we had a very unguarded conversation. And this, this mess, it was a moral failure. It was public and it was messy. And he told me very recently, he said, Robert, I received after my fall from grace, after my moral failure, I received almost 6,000 messages from other people who were, using his words, secret carriers. It's so pervasive. For you and me, yes me, to live with the illusion of secrecy. What does God know? What does God know? He does. He does. For us to walk in that freedom, we need to confess and forsake. So maybe it's time for you to receive God's forgiveness today. Can I tell you from personal testimony, man, what I'm selling, I am buying into. When you come clean and you receive His grace, when the, when the slate is wiped clean, you're walking in freedom, and freedom is free. And that's what Jesus gives us. So it could be time for you to forgive yourself. And this is what we don't do very well. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story about a man whose friends let him in. They descend him into the room where Jesus was. And it's kind of like us and like God where this man showed up. He needed physical healing. And there's, it's true. There's so many times in your life where what you think you need and what God knows you need are different. And God gives you what you really need, not what you think you need. And that may follow. It did in this man's case. And in Mark 2, 5, it says this. Um, he says, Jesus says to this man what you and I could never say. And I'm not taking a shot at any uh, branches of Christianity or denominations. But look, I can't forgive your sins. Unless you've deliberately sinned against me, I think I'd be willing to forgive you. But only Jesus can say that. Your sins are forgiven. And this man walked away free. You know, you know what Jesus, y'all know this story. I'm telling you very little of it. I'm reminding some of you, but very fascinating. Anybody struggling with guilt and shame, read Jesus. Read Mark 2. Because there's truth. There's this unrelenting God that has standards and he's holy and he doesn't yield to that. But then there's this gracious God. And Jesus tells this man who receives spiritual and physical healing, he tells him something strange. He says, get up, take up your mat and go home. Now, I get the part about get up and go home, but why would he say take up your mat? Is, he, is Jesus introducing yoga to the human race? Is he saying go home and wrestle with your loved ones now that you've been physically healed? Like, I've tried to understand why Jesus would say get up, take up your mat, and go home. And can it be that that mat for this man... But you, you get what I'm saying? Jesus is telling someone to take something that they no longer need. 
that maybe this mat was a reminder to this man to the extent of what Jesus had done in his life. I want to talk to you for just a moment about this idea of forgiveness of yourself and other people. And my wife's out of town so I can draw. I have terrible handwriting. She hates it when I do this, but she's gone. You have a certain amount of energy, don't you? And I have a certain amount of energy. A, a, a guy that was elected president this past uh, term, he, he, he was debating people and just picking people apart, right? Just like, you're this and you're this, name-calling and shaming and all. And he, he referred to one would-be candidate or one candidate as low energy. Jeb Bush has got low energy. He's a low-energy guy. Who would want a low-energy guy? Who wants a low-energy person? But you, you have energy, and let's play a little bit. This is so far from scientific, but let's say God gives you 100 what we'll call credits of energy a day. So you and I, we got 24 hours. We're not talking time. We're talking energy. And you have 100 credits of energy. How are you going to spend your energy? How do you spend your energy? This is you on a diet. Low-carb diet. This is you. So I'm asking you, how are you spending your energy? Here's what you could spend it on. It could be some sideways energy. Remember, you've only got 100 credits. Be careful. You could spend it on drama. Drama. You could spend it on drama. Hey, did you hear what John said? You know what John said about you? Can I just say to somebody that wants to hear this, this that needs to hear it, don't worry about what John said. Focus on what Jesus said about you. Don't worry about John. Those guys are a dime a dozen. They're wagging their tongue. We're going to do a series on our speech and words and how they matter in October. But, man, do you want to, do you want to spend... You've only got 100 credits. Do you want to waste them here? Do you want to waste some of your energy credits on... You can finish this for me before I finish writing it. Nursing a... Do you want to nurse that grudge? That takes a lot of energy to nurse that grudge. What about this? What about... What about reliving and reliving and reliving that past? Some of us can't get past the past. And we're stuck there and energy is being sucked to that. But what if? What if instead of wasting all your energy on drama and grudges and the past, what if? What if you spent a whole bunch of those energy credits that God gives you on moving forward just like the arrow and just as Jesus calls moving forward into growth. If you lead a family, lead a business, you know that you're managing your energy. Older I get, I don't think about time as much. You know, Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses prayed, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I don't know how much longer I have, but I just want, I want to be faithful to the end and I want, to, I want to use the time that God has given me. But I'm thinking about energy, 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 and how am I using it? And when someone sucks me into a conversation about what John said or who's left or who's unhappy or who's whatever, and it's carping and it's critical and it's petty... I have a choice. I can get sucked into the drama and hold the grudge and live in the past. Or I can move forward. Let me ask you, which direction do you want to move in? How do you want to use your energy? 
And there's this call that Jesus gives us to go this way, and it's the way of progress. And if you know, if you've been sidetracked and you've gotten sucked into someone's emotional orbit or a vortex of, of distraction, you know that how that can just shoot your week. As a pastor, I've got to really guard that because I'm a preacher and I'm a pastor. And if I'm going to preach, that's why it's been hard this week. My wife's been out of town, so I've had to handle things, right? And there's only so much energy. It's not about time. It's about energy. And how can I stay on course and not get pulled off. And here's so many of us, we hear the voice and we get pulled back into drama and into grudges. And we're not willing to forgive. It could be a time, lastly, this could be a time to forgive others. I want, in the few moments we have, I want to ask someone, you ready? I want someone to come up on the stage to be a volunteer. So can I have someone join me? You don't have a speaking part, you just need to stand with me for illustrative purposes. Uh, somebody come up and join me. Shim, come on up. My guy. Of course, a young, energetic college student. Come on up, Shim. Appreciate you. You can't wear shorts to church. Uh, Shim, for, Father, I forgive you. I, we forgive him. So stand over there if you would. Shim uh, is a college student, MC from Atlanta. I kind of know you. And he, you um, interned at Chick-fil-A this summer. Got some cool stories. So Shim, let's pretend that Shim is none of those things, but he's my cousin. So cousin Shim, we're, we're cousins, and Shim comes to me one day, and he says, um, Robert, cousin Robert, I, I've got auto repair I need, and I can't fix my car, and I can't afford it. I need a thousand bucks. Would you ever do that? Come to me? Okay. That's what you're doing in this illustration. So Shim comes to me, and he borrows a thousand dollars. I don't really want to give him a thousand dollars. He's a cool cousin. And looks good in his shorts. But man, I don't want to give him $1,000. So here's what happens. I do loan him the $1,000, but Shem is kind of fuzzy. He doesn't really understand or doesn't want to understand that it's a loan. And you know what happens? A week later, we follow each other on Instagram, by the way. So this guy, a week after I give him $1,000 that I didn't want to give, but I felt like Jesus wanted me to give, he, I see him on Instagram on the beaches of Waikiki. So take this rope, my brother, because I am angry at Cousin Shim. Because he has taken something from me and taken me for granted, and he's messed me up. And now, he and I, my Cousin Shim and I, we're just like you and that person. You're bound to someone that you're angry at. Well, no, I'm not. I'm angry at them, man. I'm giving them a cold shoulder. I'm talking about... No, no, no. You're bound to that person that you're angry at. But, you know, a few weeks go by, and we're kind of, you know, living life. Things are good. Uh, and then, you know, several weeks have passed. I'm no longer bugging him. I don't send a loan shark to his house or anything. And he has kind of moved on. So, Shim, drop the rope. What happens when he's free of the pain that he's caused me? What do I do? What do you do? I'll show you. You go, no, 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 no. You are not moving on. You owe me. And not only do I give Cousin Shim the rope, I'm like, just play along. <laughs> I am tying him up with it. Because he's not moving on. I'm not letting him move on. No way. In fact, I see Shim and a cute girl. Do you have a girlfriend? Okay, he does. Okay, this is really weird. But he's with his girlfriend, and he, I see him uh, a couple of months later, and he's at a steakhouse, Kessler Prime. 
And I'm like, steak dinners and beaches of Waikiki, and I just get angrier and angrier, and I'm doing things with the rope, and I'm... But then you know what? Time. Time has a way. Some people say time heals all wounds. Does it? Is that a Bible verse? It might help, but it doesn't heal all wounds. It's not a Bible verse if you're keeping score. But we, we kind of... We separate, but what's our relationship? We're still... We're still, we're still bound by the rope. We're still bound together because I want to say it again. Whoever's angered you, whoever you can't let go of that hurt, you're, you're on a rope with them. And what's the only way? Everybody will get this right. This is really easy. What's the only way for us to disconnect here? Jim, drop the rope. That's it. Y'all thank Jim for jumping up and saying, appreciate you. So I ask you, as we begin to close, I ask you, I want to get very personal. Who's at the end of your rope? An ex? A family member? A bad business partner? An angry altercation at the gym? Who's at the end of that rope? And to get even personal, more personal, I want to ask you, could it be you at the end of your own rope? Who's at the end of the rope? And what do you need to let go? Here's what I want to do. I want to just quickly show you. Before we show the video, cue it up if you would. It's like 20 seconds. But this is, I'm going to show you Tatum. You may have seen this in the last couple weeks. Tatum is a dog that was rescued and was in a shelter for too long. And Tatum got picked up. And this is Tatum's first walk. Someone came in and said, I want you. And Tatum, as best I understand it, that's not a nervous twitch. That's not an audition for Air Bud. He's free. And here's what I want to say this morning. For some of you, for me, I would even say for many of you, this is an opportunity to leave here less weighed down than when you came before. And look, forgiveness is not always immediate, but there can be moments, and that's what I've been praying all weekend for you in our earlier service, that this could be a moment for you of freedom, that you would abound in it. Because people that are free don't walk like this. And if I'm driving back to Atlanta and that ticket wasn't paid from years ago, I'm cowering in fear. Like, they're going to take me to jail if they pull me over for speeding. And I do have a speeding problem. But I'm free because it was paid. And see, the, the world says, and you and I say to each other, you, you owe, you'll pay. You, you owe, you'll pay. And we're, we're bound to that person. But the gospel says, you owe, I paid. And that's a freedom. And man, that's, we're living more like that. Tatum, the dog. And what we see in the mirror, on the bed beside us. And so today I'm going to ask Lauren and the team to come. I want you to stand with me as I pray over you. And here's what I want you to do. You'll have just a few moments to do this. Would you stand? And you have something to write with and you have a card. And I want, to, I want you to do this. And I want to say this is just kind of a thing. This is not about any coercion. This is not about... Um, taking a moment and playing on somebody. I don't want you to do this if it's not 
reasonably authentic in your life. But I want to ask you today to write down what you need to let go of. And yes, it could be a name, or you may just want to be a general. If you don't trust us, you could say X. You could say business partner. You could say my spouse. You could say uh, Robert Green. Whoever you need to forgive. I want you to write that down. Or maybe for you, you write down, it's a time to forgive myself. It's a t- time to forgive somebody else, or it's a time to receive God's forgiveness in your life. There's too much sideways energy. You're wasting energy credits. And so today I want to ask you to take that card in these moments. In fact, do it now if you would, and just take that card and write down what you want God to do in your life today. And I'm going to ask you, pointing us back to the Bible. We think of worship as let's sing a few songs, hear a sermon, and get out of there fast. And we're not going to keep you too long today. I do want to ask you just for a few more moments. And I want to ask you, I want to tell you, in the Bible, man, the altar was a big deal. So I want to ask a lot of you, and you know who you are, you got a lot of pride, a lot of pride. Would you do business with God today? And as we sing, would you pray? And whatever you wrote, would you come and would you bring it? And here's where uh, you see what happened at 930. But we're inviting you to do it as well. God, it's a time to receive your forgiveness. God, it's a time to forgive myself. God, it's a time to forgive other, another person. Here, here, here's the other person. And the only people that are going to look at this is the staff and I. And so if you want to put your name, that would be really helpful. Most of you probably won't. I get that. This is going to help us shepherd and lead. We're going to pray for you on Tuesday. We're going to be together and we're going to offer this up to God. Would you give it to Him today? It could be the very first step of freedom in your life in this regard. Jesus, work in this time. Lord, I pray that for the lives, the the women and the men and even the young people that move toward the altar with this three by five card, Lord, that you would, you know all, but I pray, Lord, that you would be honored by this physical act of coming to your altar and letting go of something today. And God, bring freedom. If it's immediate, we will certainly take it. But Lord, if it's what begins a process, I pray that that would be done in the hearts of your people. In Jesus, we pray. You come today.